Well, good morning, my friends. As I sit in my office uh, looking out, I see stakes in the ground as the builders prepare to build across from me. I, some of you are my Facebook friends, and you know that we built a house or had a house built, and, and it was a spec house that we got into in the middle, so we didn't plan it from the beginning. But our house sits east and west, and it's beautiful because we get the sunrise and the sunset. And across the street is this huge field where they're getting ready to build. We knew that that would happen. Um, we've been praying for our neighbors, our future neighbors. Praying also that the houses that are built across the street are not huge and block out uh, the setting sun. And found out yesterday that the two houses directly across from us in view of our my window and uh, my office, we're going to be, they're going to be ranch houses. So that'll be nice. Uh, we'll, we'll see the sunset uh, coming down below as it drops below their houses. So it's beautiful. God is concerned about the little things. He cares about everything that goes in and on in our lives. So anyway, just a thought, just to let you know that uh, just sitting here looking out the window as I record this, uh, and excited to talk to you today about a subject that that confuses a lot of people. It's confused me. It's confused a lot of people. And and uh, again, Wearsby, um, Warren Wearsby was considered a pastor's pastor. There were a lot of pastors who went to him, and he was very encouraging. And I'm not, I I I've ne I never met him. He's with Jesus, but uh, uh, but but was uh, introduced to this teaching and his series a long time ago, um, his Bible commentaries, and I love them. Um, some people say, um, Gary, don't you ever have an original thought? No, probably not. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, right? Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you um, get get nourished from. Make sure that um, they're in the Word. Warren Wiersbe was a man of the Word, and I have no problem listening and, and sharing him with you. Um, but this morning, it, it, this is a difficult topic um, because it's, it's incredibly misunderstood. And I think Wiersbe shed some light on it. So let's look at, uh, at Mark chapter 3, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables. Now, here's where he begins to tell these stories. Uh, these stories that we talked about um, where he he does something that is um, beautiful. He paints this picture of a situation. And in this situation, he's trying to get the attention of those people by bringing them into the picture. So he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that, that self, that itself, that kingdom cannot stand. I mean, it's unbelievable logic, right? If a home is divided, it's going to be destroyed. If an army is divided, if a team is divided, they cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, he's divided. He cannot stand, but he's coming to an end. But no man, here's where he changes. Now he, he begins to talk about the kingdoms, talks about the house, talks about then personal Satan against himself, he can't stand. Then he says, but no man, here's a beautiful picture, can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. 
then indeed he may plunder his house. He paints this picture of somebody who owns a home and he's very strong. He's in charge of the home and you want something that he has. You're not just going to be able to walk into that home and take it. Nope, you have to first bind him. Verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying that he, Jesus, had an unclean spirit. Turn to Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew has the same story. He goes into a little more detail, and I want us to look at that uh, today. Matthew chapter 12. Uh, beginning at verse 22. Now, we're going to kind of read it at the moment, but but uh, we're going to go through this because uh, he does this um, um, same situation, same um, teaching, but he adds some things here that, that I want us to see. Look at verse 22. Then a demon possessed, this is Matthew chapter 12, 22, and again, it's the story it's the teaching that Jesus just did in Mark, but it's the reason for the teaching. You'll see that in just a moment. That a demon-possessed or oppressed man who was blind and mute, demon-oppressed, there's a difference between oppression and possession, mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? You can see why the Jewish leaders would react the way they were reacting. They were losing footing. They were losing the ears of, of people because Jesus was doing things that no man could see. And even these people who were just the common people, just the common people, started to begin to say, can this be the son of David? Now, who's the son of David? The son of David is the Messiah. It is a picture of, of Psalm 2 and Psalm 8. It is a picture of, of the uh, Messiah who would come and he would sit on the throne of King David. So he wasn't the literal son of King David, but he would continue the lineage of David because there would be someone that sat on the throne. Now, because of this verbiage, we understand that the Jews were looking for someone who was literally of the lineage of David, and Jesus was. If you trace back his genealogy um, uh, through Mary and even through Joseph, they both come back to the lineage of David, even though Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus, Mary was the mother, and and through that lineage comes this picture of the son of David. Then we get verse twenty-four. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, "It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons." So now you get this picture of the story and how it ties together. Let's go to where's me. Jesus healed a uh, demoniac who was blind and dumb. And the scribes and Pharisees used this miracle as an opportunity to attack him. The crowd was saying, perhaps this man is indeed the son of David, the Messiah. But the religious leader said, no, he is in the league with Beelzebub. It is Satan's power that is at work, not in him, not God's power. Beelzebub is the name for a devil, and, and it means for the devil, and it means the master of the house the master of the house. So Jesus picks up on this, and that's why he began to share the story about the master of the house or the strong man. Jesus exposed both their bad theology and their faulty logic. 
if it was by the power of Satan that he had cast out demons, then Satan was actually fighting against himself. This meant that Satan's house and kingdom were divided and therefore on the verge of collapse. But Satan had been guarding that man carefully because the devil does not want to lose any territory. The fact that Jesus delivered the man was proof that Jesus was stronger than Satan and that Satan could not stop him. See, you can't go into a strong man's house unless you first bind the strong man. So Jesus is showing in that picture right there that he had delivered this demoniac, so therefore he would, he had already bound the strong man. He was stronger than Satan. Jesus did much more than answer their false accusations. He went on to explain the seriousness of what they had said. Look at uh, chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 35. Verse 35, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Verse 34 above it, you brood of vipers, how evil you speak, how evil, how can you speak good when you are evil? Sorry, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What What, what is in us is what comes out of us. And so he says, what you're speaking is evil, so what is in you is evil. Your words are evil. Your words are not only theologically uh, uh, in, uh, wrong and faulty in logic, they're evil. You're, you're looking at this miracle that God has done, and you're giving the credit for that miracle to Satan. It's evil. It's faulty. And he goes on to say it's much more than that. It's much more than that. It's unforgivable. Jesus, in this situation, exposes something very deep. And this is the teaching where we, uh, where, or this is the, the, the portion of Scripture where we get this talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and, and uh, how it's unforgivable. Jesus warned the religious leaders that they were in danger of committing an eternal and unforgivable sin. I mean, this is, this is powerful stuff. This is scary ground. When you ask people today, what is the unpardonable sin? They usually reply, it's blaspheming, blaspheming the Holy Spirit with where's we here. Or it is the sin of attributing to the devil the works of the Holy Spirit. And historically, this speaking, he says, these statements are true, but they did not really answer the question. How do we blaspheme the Spirit of God? What miracles is the Holy Spirit performed today that, may, that might be carelessly or even deliberately attributed to Satan? Must a person see a miracle in order to commit this terrible sin? Jesus made it clear, listen to this, Jesus made it clear in this portion of scripture that God would forgive all sin and all blasphemy, including blasphemy against the very son of God himself for this moment, in this situation. Why? Because Jesus was literally before them, walking on this earth, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. But even at that moment, at that moment, he said, this is forgivable. This is forgivable. Verse 32, and whoever of Matthew chapter 12, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. And why is this true? 
I think the best explanation I've ever heard is what Wiersbe talks about here. He's talking about two different times. He's talking about a time before the Holy Spirit had had come. And he's talking about a time uh, 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 when the Holy Spirit had come. The answer lies here. Here, let me read it for you. In the nature of God and in his patient dealings with the nation of Israel. God the Father sent John the Baptist to prepare the nation for the coming of the Messiah, and many of the common people responded to John's call and repented. But the religious leaders permitted John to be arrested and eventually killed. God the Son came and promised, as promised, and called the nation to himself. But they were, there's those same religious leaders asked for Jesus to be killed on the cross. And our Lord prayed in Luke chapter 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. The Holy Spirit had not yet come. The Holy Spirit was ministering through John the Baptist and through Jesus, but he had not yet come. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and demonstrated God's power in many convicting ways. How did those same religious leaders respond? By arresting the apostles, ordering them to be silent, and then killing Stephen. And Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, write this down. You do always resist the Holy Ghost in the King James. They had sinned against the Father and the Son, but had been graciously forgiving. But when they sinned against the Holy Spirit, they had reached the end of the line, and there could be no forgiveness for those people of that time. People today, listen to this, people today cannot commit the unpardonable sin in the same way as the Jewish religious leaders did when Jesus was ministering on earth. The only sin today that God cannot forgive is the rejection of his son. And the rejection of his son he's talking about is the ongoing, continual rejection of the son of God. Why can it not be forgiven? Because it's the ongoing pushing away of the son of God. See, there's only but one way to be saved. So it makes sense if we reject that for uh, that that opportunity to be saved, that we are sinning against the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who draws us. Look at uh, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not uh, send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might the world might be saved through him. Whosoever then, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, underline this, verse 18, it's so important, it goes with 16. We love to quote 16, but we don't quote 18. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son, the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So things have changed. So when somebody asks, have, you, have I committed the unpardonable sin? I immediately tell them no. Why? Because to even ask is to, is to know that you know the difference and you know that there's a possibility that there is an unpardonable sin. Before Jesus' teaching you, they didn't know that. And then the, the father sends the messenger, John the Baptist. 
and then he son sends his son, and then he sends his Holy Spirit, and still many refuse to believe. Many refuse to believe. And some of you say, well, I know people, and I know they possibly committed the unpardonable sin, and they can never be saved. They can never be saved, really. Our God cannot, cannot minister to them. It's not um, beyond the realm of God. So rather than worry about whether someone has committed the unpardonable sin, we should be asking God to save them. We should be asking God, why? Because we won't know. We're not God. If you're sitting there today and say, I can't be saved because I've done this or I've done that. Listen, listen. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit and to Scripture. Turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. So this teaching today is really not about the unpardonable sin or not the unpardonable sin. That's something we're going to leave to God. When Jesus is teaching about this, he's teaching the Jewish people, his people, his nation, who they had, God had been patient with for so many years, and God sent many, many messengers. And then he sends John the Baptist after 400 years of silence. And then he sends his son, and then he sends the Holy Spirit. And they reject, and they reject, and they reject, and they should have known better. But maybe you don't know any better. Maybe your friends and your family don't know any better and they just think to say, oh, that religion thing is for someone else or Jesus was never really alive. They're just spouting something they've probably heard from someone else. But listen to what the Bible says about these people and maybe even about you if you're sitting there listening and thinking, God can't save me. First Timothy chapter two. First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. All means all for kings and for all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceable life and quiet life, godly and um, dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Boy, this hits home. In a time when I'm so frustrated with political leadership, I'm supposed to be praying for them. I need to ask God today to forgive me for, for, for being so harsh or as my pastor says, having that toxic sarcasm. Instead, I need to be praying for them because God can save them. Look at verse four. Who desires all people to be saved? It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one meet, one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What should I be doing? Should I be critical of all this? Should I be saying to people, oh, you blasphemed the Holy Spirit? You know what? I'm going to leave that to God. The main thing is not to reject his son. Because he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. One more scripture. Then we'll land this thing. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's, he's not rejecting. He's not rescinding his promise that he wants you to be saved. He wants your family to be saved. He wants your friends to be saved. 
He wants politicians to be saved. That was for me. Because the reality is that I can't tell if someone's saved or not. I can examine their fruits and I can make a, 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 an exterior or external judgment. But I don't know the heart. Only God knows the heart. So when your friends seem like they're so far from God and you just say, well, you know what? I believe they're beyond re, uh, regeneration and beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit. Say, I'm not going to do that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pray. And maybe you've judged yourself to be on reach. You've done too much. No, 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 no. Let's leave that to God. And let's just cry out to God and say, God, forgive me for I'm a sinner. Forgive my family. Forgive my friends. Forgive my son, my daughter. Forgive those who speak evil in this world against you. And let's turn it into a time of prayer. The impardonable sin, that's up to God. But he paid the price for sinners. So let's just trust him. Let's just trust him. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you until we talk again.